My name is Mercy. If I haven't met you before, my husband is the youth pastor here. And yes, he is the shortest pastor on staff. Um, so if you see him, that is my husband. Um, I am excited to be sharing the word of God with you today. Um, before the last service, one of my friends reminded me to come up and enjoy this moment. So I plan on enjoying my time with you and just diving into God's word together. Um, so we are in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. But before I read that passage, I want us to look a little bit of at the context of what is happening in this passage of Scripture. Um, it's important that we remember that the original manuscripts of Scripture did not have chapters and verses. Those were added later so that we could find things a little easier, but they were written as one book. So Luke was like one book, one big story. And what we can kind of do sometimes is we separate, we see the chapter, and so we separate this idea that was actually meant to be a whole idea. So we're going to look back at Luke 14. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm just going to do like a quick overview. Um, but in verse 1, it says... One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So what's happening in this story is Jesus gets invited over to a Pharisee's house after church. And he says, come on over to my house. Let's have dinner together. Does anybody enjoy going over to a friend's house or having people over for dinner and getting to know them? Yeah, getting to know them, having conversation. It's a great way to build relationship and to build friendship and to learn about people, to learn people's stories and personalities. We do that when we sit down and have a meal together. So that's what Jesus is doing. But then we find out a couple things about this meal as the chapters kind of unfold. And what we find out is Jesus shows up, but a crowd of people come with him. So I want you to imagine inviting someone over to your house for dinner and you open the door and there's 50 other people there. Okay. So already it's maybe not the best etiquette to show up to someone's house with 50 other people, but here's Jesus and he's like, they're following me. There's not much I can do. So I'm not going to tell him to go away. You know, and so they come in and they, he sits down and he has dinner with these Pharisees and there is a man in the crowd that is sick. And so the Pharisees start watching Jesus because they want to know if Jesus is going to heal this man. Because in their mind, healing was working on the Sabbath and that was breaking the law and that was not okay. Well, Jesus heals him because Jesus is like, I'm God. I can do what I want. I don't need anybody's permission and I want to heal this guy. So he heals this man on the Sabbath. So it starts getting a little awkward. Then after he heals the man, he starts teaching. And the first lesson he teaches is the parable of the wedding feast. And the gist of this parable is Jesus looking at the Pharisees and saying, you're full of pride. Stop it. Okay, so he has healed someone on the Sabbath. He's now told his host that he is prideful and needs to stop being so prideful. Then he goes into the next story, which is the parable of the great banquet, 
which basically the gist of that story is that he's looking at the Pharisees and saying, because of all your excuses, when my father has his great banquet, you're not going to be invited. Instead, we're going to invite the sinners and the Gentiles and the tax collectors and all the people you think are below you. Those are the ones that are going to be invited to Jehovah's table, not you. And so he has looked at his host. He has healed a man on the Sabbath. He's told the host he was prideful. Then he told the host, you're not going to be invited to my dinner. It's a little tense in the room. Okay. So then he goes into this passage that it seems randomly put here, but it's not. It's going to become important later. But he talks about the cost of discipleship. And he basically tells them, if you want to be my disciple, count the cost. And then after that, he breaks into another parable about salt losing its saltiness, in which the gist of that is he's looking at the Pharisees and saying, because you've lost your passion, because you've lost your faith, because this has just become a religious routine, you are good for nothing. Okay, so it's like we're just we're just insulting like these Pharisees left and right and left and right, right? He's calling them out everywhere they turn. And then we get into Luke 15:1. And we're going to read that together and it says, "Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him." And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home... He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So, Jesus has insulted the Pharisees. So what do the Pharisees do? They do what we as human beings do. When someone calls us out on our junk, we look at them and go, well, here's all the reasons you have no right to do that. These are all the reasons you're not holy. These are all the reasons you don't have your life together. Instead of looking in a mirror and saying, huh, maybe I need to examine myself, we tend to try and deflect onto someone else, usually the person who's calling us out. And that's exactly what the Pharisees do. They go, oh my goodness, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So in this culture, they believed that when you sat down and you ate dinner with somebody, you were entering into a spiritual covenant of friendship with them. Your spirit and their spirit were becoming connected and you were saying, I want to be like you and I want you to be like me. And the Pharisees would never sit down and eat with sinners because the Pharisees were convinced that they were not sinners. They were convinced they had it all together. So why would I sit down and eat with a sinner? I have nothing in common with them. 
I don't want to enter into covenant with them. So they use this as a way to attack Jesus, and then Jesus responds. So when we look at this response, we have to look at it from two points of view because there's two groups of people. So we're going to look at it from the point of view of the Pharisees, and then we're going to look at it from the point of view of the sinners and tax collectors. And in order to do that, we are going to have to look at the entire context of scripture. There's two ways to study context by looking at the chapters surrounding a scripture and then looking at the scripture as a whole. And we're going to dive back into the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. Now, in this time, the Pharisees would have known this passage. They spent their life studying and memorizing the word, studying and memorizing the books of prophecy. So they would have known Ezekiel 34. So they would have made a connection in this. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, so you don't have to worry. It is a long chapter. But I encourage you to go home and read it because it's a good chapter, especially in light of what we're studying. Um, But I'm going to read a few verses to kind of give you the overview. And in Ezekiel 34.1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Who are the shepherds? The shepherds are the spiritual leaders or the Pharisees. He's saying prophesy against the Pharisees. Okay, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Then we're going to skip down to verse 5 where it says, So they were scattered, the sheep were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And then in verse 10, it says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth that they may not be food for them. So he's saying, because you didn't do your job, you're about to lose your job. Okay. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Then verse 16, it says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So Jesus goes into Luke 15 and he tells this story of being the shepherd. And the Pharisees would have made this connection going, oh my goodness. He's, he's talking about, about, what, about me, what I'm not doing. They would have made the connection that he was calling himself God, therefore Messiah. Because what does Ezekiel say? I myself, I the Lord God will find my sheep. 
and will rescue them. They would have made that connection. They would have made the connection that Jesus was telling them they were soon going to be out of a job because they weren't doing their job well. Okay, so they would have made this connection. But then even further in verse seven, Jesus kind of like puts the final nail on the coffin in this when he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There was a saying in that day among the Pharisees. And it went like this. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated. So Jesus takes their saying and he flips it on them. So there's the Pharisees. Now we may be thinking at this point, the tax collectors and the sinners are really enjoying it. But let's look at the tax collectors and the sinners point of view, because they may or may not have known Ezekiel, depending on their letter their level of education and all of that. They may not have known that passage, but they did know what it meant to be a shepherd. Being a shepherd was a common job in that day. They knew what it required to be a shepherd. So when Jesus says here, what if you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one who has lost until he finds it, they probably knew plenty of people who had had to do that. And then he says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Have you ever seen the picture of Jesus carrying the sheep around his shoulders, right? We put it in our churches and sometimes in our homes, sometimes in our kids' nurseries. And I remember seeing it growing up and going, oh, look at the little sheep. So cute. Jesus loves the sheep, carries them around, right? So the reason the shepherd is carrying the sheep is because when a sheep would wander off and the shepherd would find it, the shepherd would break the legs of the sheep. And then he would set the legs, wrap them up, and put the sheep on his shoulders. And he would carry the sheep until the legs healed so that the sheep would learn what the shepherd sounded like. The sheep would learn the shepherd's whisper and the shepherd's shout. He would learn when the shepherd was happy and when the shepherd was angry. He would know what the shepherd sounded like when he laughed and when he cried. He would know every aspect of the shepherd's voice so that by the time he could walk again, if he was in a crowd or if he was lost, the shepherd would just need to speak and he would recognize his shepherd. It's why Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and will not be fooled by another. He's saying, my sheep have let their legs be broken. My sheep trusted me that sometimes life hurts but I allow it because I'm teaching them my voice. They trusted me. We, we can look at the, the legs being broken and go, oh, that's so cruel. No, the shepherd understood if the sheep doesn't learn my voice, the sheep could wander off and die. And I would rather break the sheep's legs than lose the sheep's life. Right? And so it's that trust of the shepherd. If you were here last week when my husband preached, he talked about how sheep remember which means that the sheep would have remembered 
that the shepherd broke its legs. But the sheep would have also remembered that the shepherd bound its legs and carried him and fed him. And they would have learned to trust the shepherd in the process of the breaking. And then he says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The word for repentance there isn't just this emotional feeling, but it's an emotional breaking that that hurts, but causes somebody to turn from what they're doing and to walk differently. I guarantee you the sheep whose legs have been broken never walked the same. Because when you encounter Jesus in the breaking, you don't walk the same. And so Jesus, remember I said this would be important. A few verses earlier, he said, count the cost. Count the cost. And he didn't say that to the Pharisees. In verse 25, it says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, count the cost. Then he tells them, what is the cost? The cost is allowing the shepherd to break your legs. The cost is understanding that the hard thing you are walking through that feels like it is breaking you, that God's faithfulness is there. That maybe he has allowed that to happen because he wants you to know his voice. As the world gets louder and louder and louder, it is so important that we as a church know the whisper of the shepherd. It is so important that we know his voice. So you have two groups of people. You have the Pharisees that Jesus is saying, look in a mirror. Let my spirit examine your heart. And then you have the sinners that he's saying, count the cost. So my question for you this morning is, which are you? Have you found yourself in a position where maybe you have become a Pharisee? You don't even know how you got there. But you've been looking at everybody else, pointing out their faults instead of allowing the Lord to call you a little bit higher. Or are you one of the sinners that's in the middle of your legs being broken? And the Lord is saying, Trust me. Learn my voice. I haven't abandoned you. I'm actually here to carry you. You could be the sheep that fights the shepherd and says, don't pick me up. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to walk on my broken legs. It probably won't go well for you. But you could be that. Or you could trust the good shepherd to carry you. So as Dr. De Silva gets ready and comes out for our closing hymn, I want us to take some time to examine our hearts. Ask the Lord, God, which one am I? And whichever way you find yourself, then ask yourself, am I willing to count the cost? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, salvation is free but discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything.